Welcome to the 74th episode of Yoiga, a podcast between two friends about the latest, or in this case, not so latest, on society, feminism, and politics in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Suyian Lee. And this week, we're going to dig into history and talk about one of the lesser known uh, founding fathers of Indonesia, Sultan Shahir. Lesser known to us, maybe you know more, maybe you're a history buff, and we should. Also, listeners, if any of you are proper historians and you think we got things wrong, take, please correct us. <laughs> please correct us. Take us apart. Take everything we say with a grain of salt. We're very earnest. We're trying to do the Flimsy, right thing. Flimsy but earnest logic. Here we um, go. But yeah, we're gonna talk about who he is and some of our thoughts and reflection of his ideas about nationalism and democracy. I think it's incredibly important, certainly in today's times, where uh, the concept of a democracy is always tenuous. Uh, to think about how some of the earliest figures of our country thought about democracy and really considered the future of Indonesia beyond just the fight for independence. So here's to it. So, listeners, you, uh, as as you probably know, you haven't heard any new content from us for uh, a few weeks now. Uh, yeah, we uh, both Sweden and I have big life changes. Yeah. Um, for one, Sweden, you want to tell the listeners your personal news? Yeah. So, listeners, at the end of the month, I'll be moving back to Indonesia again for the second time. <laughs> I just feel like I'm like. And I just go back and forth. But this time, I am actually moving out of my own free will instead of the visa expiring. So you're going home for good. Mm-hmm. But this time, it's I chose to decide that my time is up. But anyways, I'm moving back to Jakarta. And Stephanie... Meanwhile, I have moved to California. <laughs> so I'm now living in the Bay Area. So no longer in New York for work-related reasons. I have new projects here. Mm-hmm. So... Both of us are um, living in boxes right now, so that's kind of why we've been missing. Pretty much. Um, but we're here, and we're excited to be back. Mm-hmm. And once Sweden is back in Indonesia, you'll have more news, more interviews with people moving and shaking Indonesian politics and activism and feminism. So looking forward to that content. Yeah, and we're now in the month of August, and we figured we're going to try something a little bit different from our usual episodes. Since this is the month of August, it's also the month of Independence Day. Independence Day! Yeah, and we decided that earlier in the days of Geologica, we used to do these profile episodes where we talked about a historical figure that we don't know that much about or we think that the public don't know that much about. And we're going to go back to that for this month. Yeah, we're going to talk about Sutan Shadir, who... Um, is one of Indonesia's heroes and father of our independence movement. And I feel like the least known of the key figures to Indonesia's independence movement. Yeah. And um, someone who I've looked at briefly at his works and I've been really interested in, but never really got a chance to dig deeper. So that's what we're doing today. And it's been fascinating to, to look into him. Especially, you know, since I, I'm not going to speak for Stephanie, but I have a very, very low level 
understanding of Indonesian history and I cop out to that and I admit to that. So it was great to just like really dig deep into the details of the independence movement, the early days of the Indonesian Republic and how crucial Sultan Sharir was as a figure, not only for establishing the new government, but also making sure that it survives past the first, you know, couple of administrations. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, just the basic facts. Um, super briefly, uh, Sultan Shahrir was born on March 5th, 1909 in Padang, in Sumatra. Shout out to and Sumatrans. He My family's from Sumatra, even though I'm a Jakarta kid. Represent. And he died, unfortunately, uh, pretty early at age 57 in April 1966 in Zurich, Switzerland. And we'll actually go into further into his death because that's kind of a pretty tragic part of his um, story. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of most notably his um, positions in office in Indonesian government. He was the first prime minister of Indonesia from 1945 to 1947 and the second interior minister of Indonesia from 1945 to 1946. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also at the same time uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Indonesia from 1945 to 1947. As we can see, there's a lot of overlap in time here. And um, this is what happens when you have a new democracy. Like literally new. You're like, who's going to do all these things? Oh, I guess you. <laughs> and then who's going to do that? And then you again. Yeah, pretty much. But um, when he was appointed prime minister, he was actually the youngest prime minister in the world when he was 36. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of like the younger of the trio of Sukarno and Hatta. And I think this is one of the things that I noticed um, as, a, as we were doing our research that I was astounded by is that he is arguably the third most important person in yeah. the establishment of the new government yeah. after the president and the vice president. He was the prime minister. And yet we don't know that much about him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a little bit more about him. Um, his father was a chief public prosecutor in Medan and an advisor to the Sultan of Delhi. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, he studied at the prestigious ELS in Mulo and then AMS in Bandung. And he was also a violinist. Um, and he was also actually, well, he was an AMS in Bandung. He was also involved in the theater community. Okay, so where he I- was a director, a playwright, and an actor. And I'm like, okay, all future um, important people come out of the theater, so... Watch this space. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, then he went to uh, study in the Netherlands, where he went to the University of Amsterdam, and then became a law student at Leiden, where yeah. he got a lot of uh, colonial education, <laughs> but but led to him being like having an important role in the Sumpapamuda and the Youth Congress, which led to his like political activities in the Netherlands and getting to know Hatta. Uh, Muhammad Hatta, the future Vice President of Indonesia. This is where he was, and um, this is fascinating, right? Actually, like considering like how many of these um, young activists who went to school in the Netherlands yeah. got to know everybody, and so, yeah. sort of like in the colonial um, embrace is when you start to think about the independence movement. Like so many of the young activists and the key figures of the independence movement all gathered in that crucial period. In the 20s and 30s in the Netherlands. And I was just like, ooh, things are happening. <laughs> yeah, it must have been a really exciting time. I feel like if I can time travel, it's definitely a time where I would want to like, masquerade as a man and like be a fly in the wall. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so since he was had all his revolutionary activities, he didn't actually finish his law degree. And then he went back Who to Who needs Indonesia. a law degree anyways? <laughs> in 1931 to set up the Indonesian National Party. And um, then Hatta came back and they both were 
uh, arrested by the Dutch. Because they were actively trying to create uh, a new government, I guess, maybe? <laughs> yes. Yes. And then... Um, and when the Japanese came to power, uh, a lot of these uh, originally exiled prisoners by the Dutch were freed. But then obviously, you know, Sukarno, Hatta, and Sharir started to really amp up the independence movement because they saw that this was a crucial time mm-hmm. to really break free from the 300 plus years of Dutch rule. Of colonial occupation. Yes. Um, so here they chose like kind of an interesting tactic, I feel like this is one of the diversions of mm-hmm. like Hatta and Shadri's like kind of like hand-in-hand activism. Yeah. Um, Sukado and Hatta decided to have a cooperation with the Japanese and kind of like try to negotiate and like push for the independence from the inside whereas Charlie was like no we are not gonna start continuing with the occupier I know they're also colonialists true but he also had tuberculosis so that was uh did not help he also had to lie low just for personal sake (laughs) yeah but I think it was super interesting and a lot of his own work he's always just like do not compromise with the oppressor and that's mm-hmm. very much like Shahir. He's he's such a spirited individual, and um, like I kind of imagine him as like the Indonesian Hamilton, like mm-hmm. like saying I'm not gonna throw away my shot, and then like not gonna cooperate with the Japanese occupiers. It's just like so dramatic in my head. You read history as a musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is fascinating, right? Because he is a figure that is so convicted to his beliefs, and in this particular instance, he was like. Cooperating with the Japanese is the same thing as cooperating with the Dutch. We're cooperating with our oppressors. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you, after I've done my research, I, I almost saw it as like in that time period when Hata and Sukarno were, were working with the Japanese mm-hmm. and Shadow was working on his own covertly underground. That's almost like the beginning of the, the split between Sukarno and Shadow who have vastly different ideas about what the future of Indonesia is going to be. So what I found fascinating, obviously you've got Sukarno as sort of like the spearhead mm-hmm. of the independence movement, right? He is this charismatic leader that is that can galvanize and can rally people very easily. That's right. that's always been Sukarno's strong suit. He's always so charming. But you also need somebody like Sultan Shahir who can negotiate and can be diplomatic when things get tricky and complicated and you need to play nice or you need to bluff a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that was crucial in creating the new government and i feel like that that sort of like diplomatic approach doesn't get enough credit in the in the future storytelling of our the birth of our nation like yeah we always think about sukarno as like oh he did, he's the guy who did everything right. and everybody else is just like oh we're just supporting him when in fact <laughs> a lot of things were happening in the background that was as crucial as sukarno being the spearhead of all of this i think he was kind of like one of the few people immune to sukarno's charisma in a way right like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though he's like younger and i mean i'm sure hata was too but i feel like he sukarno and hata had such a closer relationship yeah than than he and charu that i think led to the tension between him and sukarno um not that there wasn't any beforehand there was always before you know 
1945, that there's always a tension of where they differ. Mm-hmm. But it just, they had a common enemy, right? Yeah. So once they, this common enemy was gone, mm-hmm. and Sukarno increasingly wanted to push guided democracy forward, which is that, you know, mm-hmm. when he did disband elections and decided, oh, I'm going to be president for the next <laughs> 20 years. So whenever we decide to. So whenever. Um, and Shari had just such a, like, mind of like we're gonna have a fair democratic process and we're gonna have a parliament that is not controlled by the president and we'll have a healthy democracy and um that was kind of the difference and that definitely led to him being exiled by sukarno yes i mean uh in case you missed it sorry i I like didn't know shattered history but then when i found this out i was just like Shadir was only prime minister for, for two years. And that was not because he didn't want to be prime minister for longer. It's because he was forced out of government yeah. because his views were so different from Sukarno's views. Yeah. Luckily for us, I think, luckily for Indonesia right now, is that um, he was able to be the prime minister at first and establish uh, almost a foundation of parliamentary democracy that is mm-hmm. that can survive past Sukarno, right? that can survive past one charismatic leader. Yeah. I mean, it took us a few decades to really get that, <laughs> to learn, really learn that I lesson. Mean, are we still there? Oh, man, this I is, this is a... <laughs> I know, right? But he, I think he should be credited for laying out such a foundation for the DPR and like mm-hmm. balance of power that we have the outlines for in theory. Um, yeah. I, I think this is a really important quote from him. Like this is what he said in our struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, a national revolution is only the result of democratic revolution. A nationalism should be second to democracy. The state of Indonesia is only a name we give to the essence we intend to aim for. Yeah. So here, I think the important thing is that like, he places democracy as the first thing mm-hmm. as opposed to nationalism. And I think that's such an important lesson to note, in, yeah. even in today's Indonesia, right? Like, I feel like so often the idea of nationalism, like, and uh, or Indonesia is number one, that's the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's such contrary to this democracy principle, because, like, I think even in Jokowi's times, right? There are a lot of civil liberties that are being erased um, for the sake of nationalistic agendas or like national building of infrastructure. Like it's almost like there. Whenever we don't prioritize democracy and use the notions of nationalism to supersede all of like these kind of principles of democracy, this is how we end up with authoritarianism. And yeah. like that's kind of like okay with the communist purge that Suharto did it's like oh nationalism we need to protect our country and it's such a rhetoric that's so often used that we forget what the order of priorities should be because mm-hmm. if you want to have a healthy state like we should I think have democracy because to like curb the impulses of the dictator right um, or hold whoever's in power accountable yeah and I agree with you right like because the conversations of nationalism versus democracy it's so dangerous clearly is still ha- is still happening right in this year's election yeah. that was a crucial part of the conversation and I think it's worthwhile to read up more about Shadir's legacy and you know these are the same issues and problems that the founding fathers of our nation thought about yeah Sometimes I'm I'm thinking like, what if Shire wasn't around? Like, you know, knowing Sukarno's like charismatic force, he's probably like bulldoze everyone. 
I mean, he kind of did. Yeah, <laughs> he did. But like, probably our constitution would be a different thing yeah. than it is now.、Mm-hmm. You know, we might not have such a strong foundation for parliamentary systems and for better or for worse. As much of a division <laughs> for better or for worse. But the thing is, right? There's a foundation for something to hold people accountable,、mm-hmm. and. Uh, I forget whose quote is it, but you know,、uh, somebody said once that like democracy is an imperfect tool, right?、Uh-huh. And this is this is our ways of trying to make sure that we have the best possible version of this imperfect tool、mm-hmm. for for future generations. I mean, like part of the rest of the thing of our struggle is shatters fairly socialist views、mm-hmm. and like the decrying of capitalism and like how a lot of uses the terms that are like probably will be outlawed by Suharto. Let's just put it that way.、Um, I mean, if he was still around when Suharto was in power, <laughs> he would still end up in jail.、Yep. He would still be in exile. But that's you know that's like a nice segue into like the, his life after. Government, right? Where、uh-huh. you know the, the first chunk of his life was dedicated to establishing a new republic, and then going through the first rough years. And after that, he started the Partai Socialist Indonesia, yeah, or the Indonesian Socialist Party, yeah. And also, that's done in opposition to the communist Indonesian Communist Party or the PKI, Partai Komunis Indonesia.、Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of shows that he's like. So not a communist that he's like, oh, you're gonna create a communist party. I'm gonna create a socialist party. Like, <laughs> literally, it was like in direct opposition because he was concerned about the growing influence. And this was also for context for our listeners, right? This was the period when there were.、Um, this was obviously during the Cold War. Yeah. So communism was was all around the place, <laughs> and there were concerns that. Uh, Sukarno was embracing the communist faction too much, etc., etc. So、yeah. it also contributed to the existing tensions between Shariar and Sukarno、mm-hmm. because Sukarno was clearly courting the communist bloc. Yeah, but it's fascinating, right? Because he is talking about you know socialism and communism are concepts that are like side by side in many different ways. Yeah, like they're they're born out of similar concerns, but manifest into two different products.、Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'm always like. As somebody who's into like political science, it's always fascinating to see how much people right、uh, try to create oppositions out of things that were perhaps right next to each other when they were first born. <laughs> right, and I mean like Shadow was also super sassy. Like <laughs> shout out, like his quote against Sukarno, which honestly is like damn. Like <laughs> I mean, maybe you guys are like thinking we're like doing this so irreverently, but I feel like this is the kind of content you come here. I mean, yeah. If、um, you're surprised by this, then you must be new here. <laughs>、um, but anyway, this is what he said: "Nasionalisme yang Sukarno bangun di atas solidaritas hierarkis feudalis sebenarnya adalah fasisme musuh terbesar dari kemajuan dunia dan rakyat kita." Damn, damn, calling it snap, snap. <laughs> All right, so this is related to his own nationalism. It's like this, this nationalism thing is dangerous.、Um, Mm-hmm. Nationalism that Zucarno is building is built on the solidarity of hierarchy and feudalism, and it is by another name fascism. It is the biggest enemy towards the progress of our world and our people. Like drop mic, like 
<laughs> also, I, this gets us excited. Like that's kind of sort of like so much drama, of... man. And it's like, but that's the thing, right? It's so true because anyway, uh, nationalism, nationalism without a purpose is fascism. Yeah, <laughs> it's just power for power's sake, being used however way you want it to be, and and so forth. Mm-hmm. And whatever this nationalism ends up being, this victory of nationalism ends up being empty for most for the people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like who wins in like nationalistic kind of fights, right? Yeah. We can all be mobilized by nationalism, but in the end, like who wins by that? Like it ends up being like a lot of the people lose out on on, on this fight for nationalism, and it's like I mean, so. That's the thing, right? Like nationalism is a useful concept, perhaps in struggles and fights uh when you're trying to sort of like yeah. establish yourself you're trying to like yeah. rise up in a revolution but nationalism i feel like is a concept that is not sustainable without something like democracy otherwise then you're just always rallying the troops but but for what and for whose benefit right <laughs> Seperti jenazah diangkat meninggalkan kemayoran. Ya, Tuhan telah membebaskannya dari derita lahir dan batin. Dia adalah Sultan Syahir yang menghembuskan nafasnya yang terakhir pada usia 57 tahun karena penyakit tekanan darah ini. Ibarat sang merah putih setengah tiang pertanda bahwa negara ikut bergabung. Sejak tahun 1962 hingga akhir hayatnya, Sultan Syahrir hidup dalam pengasingan dari masyarakat ramai sebagai akibat pertentangan pandangan dan pelaksanaan politik negara. Partai Sosialis Indonesia di mana ia menjabat ketua umumnya dinyatakan sebagai partai terlarang dan ia bersama kawan-kawan sefahamnya terpaksa menjalani hidup yang jauh dari segala aktivitas politik. Sebagai seorang yang selalu hidup dalam gerak dinamikanya politik, proses pengasingan yang berlarut-larut ini Akhirnya menimbulkan penyakit tekanan darah tinggi yang meningkat hingga melemahkan syaraf lidahnya. Ia tak berdaya lagi mengeluarkan sepatah kata pun. Ya, puncak derita ini ia tanggung dalam kesunyian Arafat. Like I was looking at uh, old archival images and and video clips of him, and it's like this. He just seems like a guy who's who's humble. Yeah. But obviously committed to the cause. Yeah. Um, anyway, this he stopped ha- holding office um, when he founded the Indonesian Socialist Party. So even though it is kind of leftist and believes in the critics of Marx and Engels based on like capitalism, they really didn't like the Soviet Union. Which is and tough so during those times. View, Yeah, so I guess that's why he didn't get any funding from anywhere. He's yeah. like, I believe in the cap- like Marxist critique of capitalism, but you know that is because he believes in like the dignity of human human beings and like the fact that people should be not estranged from their labor, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the equality of men. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, because of that, mm-hmm. um, he ultimately failed to get enough votes to to compete in the general election, and I believe like. He went this path also because he had such a belief in a parliamentary democracy, and if he wanted to have a country with his ideals, he'll want to be a part of a political party. Yeah, you know that really proves that a democratic system can work in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. 
Like he didn't want to just buy his way into power or anything, right? Like he wanted yeah. to go through the the steps yeah. and do it quote unquote legally. Yeah. Um. So and his relationship during this time with Sukarno really failed, and um, by 1962 he was uh was imprisoned by Sukarno, his old pal. Um, on quote unquote conspiracy charges, which yeah. basically um, means I don't like you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, imprisoned without trial, and then he suffered a stroke. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, it's like I don't understand why Sukarno was so threatened because I feel like Shatter failed creating a political party. Yeah. Maybe I'm totally missing the dynamics of 1960s politics, but I think this is one of those things where Sukarno just didn't want anyone criticizing him, and like he just gained so much power that he doesn't want even anything mm-hmm. that questions his legitimacy. Mm-hmm, especially yeah. from someone with such a you know revolutionary pedigree shattered and yeah i mean this is ultimately really tragic because in 1965 before the communist purge stuff happened mm-hmm. um he actually suffered a stroke in prison so he was like i think he had high blood pressure and he wasn't allowed to bring his own food he didn't have allow, they didn't allow his family to bring him his own food and like suffered a stroke and then after when he insult to injury after he suffered a stroke and other prisoners noticed the prison guards were just like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, he'll wake up from it tomorrow. And then, like, just, like, yeah. didn't have any, like, doctor or anything, anybody check up on him until, like, the next day when the next person was in charge. And then the doctor came. And then, like, um, he had a stroke. This is serious. And then he was, like, you know, taken to the National Hospital. And Sukarno was like, oh, oops. And like paid for all the services, and his family really fought to have him be treated outside, and that's how he was taken to Zurich, and ultimately, um, he died there in April 1966. Yeah, it's really sad. You know what's interesting as well, though, is that obviously there was so much tension between him and Sukarno and the government. Yeah. Uh, but then when when Shahrir died in Switzerland, uh, and news reached Indonesia. The government then immediately declared him as a national hero, Pahlawan Nasional. Yeah, he's no longer a threat now that he's dead. Yeah. Once he's no longer a threat, then his narrative can be taken over by the government. Like, oh, he is this national hero who who fought so hard. He's the smiling diplomat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, erase the whole part. It can be utilized. About him being at odds with Sukarno and be like, oh, let's remember him for his glory days as the, one of the first people of the New Republic. Right. And he's being used against the whole thing that he was, like, against. The fact that, like, he doesn't want to, like co-sign his name to nationalism if it meant like the death of democracy like is this kind of like the uh-huh. worst case scenario he doesn't want to he doesn't want to feed into cult of personalities right like that's his whole thing it's like we need to make democracy for the people socialism for the people it's about the people indonesia is a huge country full of lots of people <laughs> think of the people yeah, and I think even today, you know, it's his name is not heard as often as other revolutionary figures, yeah. even though he was such a crucial uh, advocate for democracy, like true democracy in Indonesia. Honestly, to this day, right, we're still not we're still not sure if we're anywhere near that yet. Mm, we're trying. I don't think so. we're, <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. Some people are trying. Some people are trying, and even you know today, uh, with the with the new incarnation of Pasi. Which has nothing to do, really, with with his incarnation. No, not uh, at all. But uh, it, I I think the current past is way less. 
left. Socialist. They have way less left. <laughs> way, way less socialist too, yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I think it's, it's worthwhile, listeners, if you have the time and resources, like really reading up on all these like early uh, political thoughts of these figures. Yeah. With Sharir in particular, like his idea of like socialism, which I think is so unique to Indonesia. Like how do you create a socialism for the masses, for the people in this very tenuous place where like not only do you have a, a huge country of islands a diverse country exactly it's diverse and there's already like internal tensions between the islands and then between the ethnic groups like how do you create yeah. a, a system that works for everyone and obviously we're still nowhere near that yet but it's always a good reminder yeah please do read up on him because he's such a amazing mm-hmm. man that i'm sorry it took us to make this podcast to realize how cool and inspiring this guy is you know what i realized though is like we did an episode in hatta maybe our first year of geologica i'm sorry listeners that it took us another three years before we we're like let's cover another three years we really didn't cover another another historical oh, figure Lord. okay if you guys like this kind of historical figure breakdown let us know and then slash we'll, rambling uh <laughs> we'll try to do more of them Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, dialica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!